0: Hey there, welcome to the Tents. I'm your host Scott Fellman and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, we talk a lot about foods, food production and how to feed our fishes and so forth and I mean I must have touched on the idea of feeding our fishes via our botanical method aquariums probably at least 10 to 15 times over the last few years but you know it kind of goes hand in hand hand in hand with the way our fishes you know, operate in nature. They are constantly feeding or seeking food in nature and having an environment in the aquarium that gives them numerous opportunities to forage as they've done for eons just makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And part of it has to do with the way our, our aquariums actually operate. Uh, our aquariums are filled with detritus and epiphytic material Uh, fishes will spend a large amount of time foraging the bio cover on you know the branches and the leaves and the botanical materials that we put in it's just like natural habitats they're absolutely filled with this stuff in every nook and cranny they're just everywhere and some organisms like nematodes and chironomids you know the bloodworms will dig into you know leaf litter and, and feed on the tissues themselves as well as the fungi and bacteria found in and among them and then those organisms in turn become part of the diet for many fishes and the resulting detritus that's produced from their activities is processed and worked over. So the idea that the aquarium not only functions as a food production mechanism, but as its own sort of internal biological filter is just tantalizing. There's so many strings to pull on this. It's pretty amazing. This, if we just look at you know, detritus, detritus and the organisms within it alone can provide an excellent supplemental food source for our fishes. If you look at gut content analysis of many fishes, a good chunk of what they're eating is detritus. And it's well known by ecologists that in many uh, habitats like inundated forests, streams, whatever, fishes adjust their feeding strategies to utilize whatever foods are available at different time of the year such as the dry season or the wet season. And it's also known that many fish fry feed actively on bacteria and fungi in these habitats and Again, I suggest that a botanical method aquarium might be an ideal feeding resource for fries. Yeah, we're on this kick about how, you know, we've evolved this stuff for so long. And it's interesting to me when I look back on the aquarium hobby and the rearing of fry, it's something, you know, fish fry, it's something that we as botanical method aquarists can have some impact on. I mean, when you think about it, everything starts with food. And for pretty much as long as, Anybody in the hobby can remember, we've cultured living organisms to feed our fry after they hatch. And if you've been in the hobby more than a few years, you've likely heard of this valuable, easy to culture live food called infusoria. Remember that word? It's a classic. It's one of those uh, aquarium world catch-alls, a sort of a throwback, if you will, to a gentler, kinder era of aquaristics, the 1950s, 1960s. It was a time when, you know, under gravel filters, freeze-dried foods and airmail of exotic tropical fishes from Florida to your local airport were all considered seriously badass, state-of-the-art, cutting-edge stuff. It's a time when great progress was made in the hobby. Now, infusoria may be described as a real catch-all term for small aquatic organisms like euglena, protozoa, unicellular algae, tiny invertebrates, and various little animals that are commonly found in freshwater environments like ponds, creeks, drainage ditches, streams, etc., and they're used as a first food for tropical fish. Sometimes it's referred to as green water in older hobby literature, which is even a more endearing, charming, little vague description. In modern formal biological classification, the term infusoria is considered an antiquated, more or less obsolete descriptor, essentially an overgeneralization, as most of the organisms previously included in that collective term infusoria are assigned to a different assemblage of taxonomic groups. Makes sense. Nevertheless, it's a charming term that's still used in aquarium circles to describe those little tiny organisms that you can find when you soak some blanched lettuce, vegetable skin, or other plant matter in a jar of water. They're perfectly sized for young tropical fish fry as the first food when they're free swimming. In fact, at around 25 to 300 microns, these organisms are consumable by most fishes as soon as they've absorbed their yolk sac. Hmm, you know, yummy. Of course, if you're a fish, it's truly yummy. Sounds good, though. But how do you make this stuff? Well, traditionally, it's been done in the most low-tech way, which you know I love. You take some blanched lettuce leaves, old flower clippings, hay, because, you know, everybody has that lying around in suburban Los Angeles. But... You know, whatever, and basically let the stuff decompose in a jar of water, and after several days, this smelly solution of cloudy water is going to come up, driven by bacteria. Ultimately, after a few more days, the water will clear when creatures like paramecium and euglena arrive on the scene via spores present in the air, and they'll consume the rampant bacteria population. Voila, in theory, you have an infusoria culture. It's like modern magic, right? I mean, fuck sea monkeys, this shit's free. (laughs) Right? Seriously, it is, but the problem is the density of desirable animals to just plain old water is pretty low when you culture this way, and you'll most likely be feeding your hungry fry with drops of stagnant water and little more. It's kind of yucky and sort of inefficient at best. The more modern approach would be to obtain a pure starter culture of paramecium from an online biological supply house, and yeah, there's plenty of them, just do a Google search, don't be lazy. The paramecium average around 150 microns in size, which is perfect for free-swimming tropical fish fry. You can use the aforementioned decomposing lettuce as a start, or you can elect to be a little bit more clean and modern and use brewer's yeast, which comes in little convenient little tablets that you'd use at the rate of like, I don't know, half a tablet to a liter of water. I'm sure there's probably more exact numbers to employ, but this is a hobby, right? We're not science here. So I'm sharing what's worked for me, your mileage may vary. You'd want to use a few grains of wheat, which you can grab at your local health food store or supermarket for that matter, to help kickstart stuff. Don't overdo it either, as you're going to end up with a much more stinky culture as a result. And in the hobby life balance, stinky equals, you know, bad. So trust me on that. You might notice a little scum, yes, another very technical term I know, on the surface of your culture and perhaps a bit of an odor to the water. But hey, you're a fish geek, so you're used to smelly wet stuff, right? And the water certainly will take on a faint brownish or light greenish color, which is totally normal for this. And I mean, when has any one of us not been, you know, excited by tint in the water, right? So after about four or five days, you should take a few drops of water from your culture beneath the surface scum, of course, and examine them under a bright light with a magnifier. You'll be able to see lots of little tiny silver like things. I know, very scientific again wiggling around in the water and if you're hardcore like me you'd look at them under your cool hobby microscope totally fun tool by the way for more accuracy this tells you that it's time to rock and roll you can feed your baby tetras your barbs whatever right away by dripping this you know, I don't know like maybe 40 50 mils of this stuff into your five gallon aquarium right away it's actually no big deal if you had more because these organisms are harmless and would naturally be found in water with fishes albeit at a lower density and really The only danger is the actual water that you're putting in itself might be a little bit nasty. Since you're doing regular water exchanges in your rearing tank, you can minimize pollutants along the way anyway. Feed this stuff several times a day and you'll be quite surprised how quickly the fry learn to recognize and attack them. Sure, there's really not all that much involved in the culturing of infusoria as we've just outlined. Cultures of paramecium are used exclusively and extensively in many labs to rear larval fishes because they're an economical, nutritious option for free swimming fishes to feed on. It's old school cool. So like many things in the hobby, the the approach may have changed, but the idea remains the same, using whatever means we have at our disposal to create the best possible outcomes for our fish efforts. You know, bricolage, remember I talked about that before? Using what you got. Now, of course, again, getting back to what I started this little rant on, No discussion of, you know, raising food or providing food for our fish fry would be complete without revisiting the idea of a botanical-influenced nursery tank for fishes. You know where I'm going with this, right? Yes, you do. I think it's interesting for a number of reasons. First, as we've discussed many times, the humic substances that are released by leaves and other botanicals, are known to have some beneficial health impact on fishes, perhaps even antimicrobial and antifungal effects. This has been documented by science. It's quite real. Wouldn't this be something worth investigating from our little unique angle? I mean, raising fishes, raising fry, in an environment that's naturally prophylactically medicating them is pretty cool. Additionally, when you think about it, you'd be rearing your fishes in the type of environmental conditions under which they'll spend the rest of their lives, assuming you're keeping them in a botanical method aquarium, right? So this would make a lot of sense and having to acclimate fishes into unfamiliar or different conditions, however beneficial they might be still can be stressful on them. So, Hey, you're keeping them in similar conditions. So why not be consistent from day one? So again, the idea of a botanical method aquarium serving as a sort of a nursery or place to rear fishes is nothing really new that much. It, it's something that we've been playing with forever. It's something that we'll continue to play with. But I think, I just think that it's something that we haven't looked at maybe as carefully as aquarists as we should have in years past. Uh, And I think it's something that will continue to sort of yield some fruit as we investigate it more. Now, look, everybody has their own style of rearing fish fry. I get it. Some hobbyists like bare bottom tanks they feed brine shrimp or whatever. Some prefer densely planted tanks. I'm kind of proposing the idea of rearing young fishes in botanical method aquariums with leaves, seed pods and maybe some plant you know material as well this physio you know physically and functionally mimics at least on some level the habitats in which fishes grow actually grow up in so why not rather than a bare tank i know A lot of serious hobbyists will say, well, Scott, it's hard to keep these tanks clean and blah, blah, blah. I get it. But we're not talking about, you know, breeding for commercial purposes. We're just talking about having some fun with fishes and maybe learning a few things along the way. I think this type of system would be ideal. My thinking is that not only will the decomposing leaves and twigs and stuff provide material for the fishes to feed on and among, they'll provide a natural shelter for them as well, potentially eliminating or reducing stress. In nature, many fry which don't receive parental care tend to hide in leaves or other bio-cover in their environment, and providing this stuff as just part of the basic layout of the aquarium will certainly accommodate that behavior. And quite honestly, with all these leaves in our tanks, they can stimulate a certain amount of microbial growth and infusoria and even forms of bacteria becoming potential food sources for fry. I read a few studies where phototrophic bacteria were added to the diet of larval fishes and they produced measurably higher growth rates. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that your fry will gorge on beneficial bacteria and other microorganisms, you know, microorganisms passively cultured in situ in your blackwater nursery and grow exponentially faster. However, I'm suggesting that they might provide some beneficial supplemental nutrition at no cost to you. I mean, you know, I've played with the idea for a long time about onboard food culturing for adult fishes I've kept a few species of small kerosens in these systems with no supplemental you know feeding at all and I've seen these fishes as fat as happy as any that I've ever had they even spawn for me it's the same with that beloved aquarium catch-all of infusoria that I mentioned just a few minutes ago these organisms are likely to arise whenever plant material decomposes in water which is well hey that's what we do right Now again, I'm not fooling myself into believing that a large bed of decomposing leaves and botanicals in your tank is going to satisfy the total nutritional needs of a batch of new fishes like kerosens, but it might provide the support for some supplemental feeding, right? On the other hand, I've been playing with this idea quite recently with my varzea setup when I had some, uh, some killifish, some annual killifish in that tank, feeding naturally as they mature among the leaves and so forth as the water is you know, water level rises. It's essentially an evolved version of those jungle tanks I had when I was a kid, except it's a different sort of look and function, and I'm not using plants, I'm using, well, plant parts. This so-called permanent setup in which adults of a fish and fry will typically coexist with the fry finding food among the natural substrate and other materials present in the tank is irresistible, you know, irresistible. Wow. Can I not say it? Irresistible. Take three, Scott. <laughs> irresistible. I don't know why I was trying to say irresistible, but whatever. You don't care. I, so it's an irresistible idea to me. I think it's cool. I'd take the botanical nursery concept even a bit farther by, you know, seeding your aquarium with some Daphne and perhaps some other commonly available freshwater crustaceans and letting them do their thing before the fry even arrive. This way you've got a sort of the makings of a little food web going on. You're Little small crustaceans helping to feed off some of the available nutrients to lower, you know, in the lower life forms uh, and, uh, you know, feeding them and then the fishes at the top of the, you know, the whole pyramid there. Now, granted, I'm totally romancing this. I get it. And perhaps even oversimplifying it like, you know, I'm prone to do. However, I think that there's something there. There's a compelling case to be made for creating a rearing tank that supports biologically diverse types of inhabitants for food resources. And perhaps it's not all that complicated an idea. And the basis of it all? Leaves and twigs and biofilms and fungal growths. All the stuff we're familiar with. It's fun to play with these ideas. To evolve old ones and create something entirely different. I think that we have a seriously legit basis for playing with more and more ideas like this in the aquarium. There's so much to learn and so many directions to go in. I think it's fantastic. And... Quite honestly, it's all for free. As I've mentioned before, it's a real gift from nature. Yet for centuries or so in the hobby, our first instinct is to reach for the algae scraper or siphon hose and take out the, you know, detritus and decomposing stuff. And well, it doesn't have to be this way. You call it a mess. I call it food. It's another mental shift, I suppose. But it's a shift that many of you have already made. I certainly look forward to seeing many examples of hobbyists using what they got to rear their fishes, doing them in in situ in a botanical method aquarium. Again, I'm gonna quote myself, and where I said that a truly natural aquarium is not sterile, it encourages the accumulation of organic materials and other nutrients, not just in excess, of course, but biofilms, fungi, algae, and detritus, they all have their place. Not only, not as an excuse for lousy or lazy husbandry, but as supplemental food sources to power the life in our tanks. Keep making those mental shifts. Meet nature where she is. I promise she's not going to let you down. Stay brave, stay inquisitive, stay open-minded, stay grateful, stay methodical, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tan and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.